joining me as always is jonathan how are you doing jonathan i'm doing fine we're winding down last year now the films we're trying to catch up with some that we haven't reviewed and actually see some that we haven't seen i'm going to charlotte tomorrow to see three movies and then i feel like we can eventually soon make our top 10 list of 2022 mm-hmm. yeah very much so and we're gonna start off with uh I think what's generally the best-reviewed movie of last year, it is After Sun, directed by Charlotte Wells in her film debut, starring Paul Mezcal, who was just announced to be starring in the Gladiator sequel that happened a couple days ago, and Frankie Corlo. It is about um, Sophie, an 11-year-old Scottish girl who is on vacation with her father at a Turkish resort. Uh, on seemingly the eve of his 31st birthday. It doesn't exactly specify when these events take place, but sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, it originally premiered May 21st at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it was released wide in the USA October 21st, or maybe not wide, but at least in theaters. Uh, a Metacritic score of 95, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 96. It was awarded the National Board of Review top 10 film award in the national board of review best directorial debut and was also named sight and sounds best film of 2022 uh i watched this movie for the first time yesterday and um you told me before seeing it not to like expect my world to be you know totally changed by seeing the best reviewed movie of the year but um i wouldn't say it lived up to the expectation because you know it's the best reviewed movie of the year but i thought it was really really excellent and pretty different than a lot of the movies I've seen this year. You saw this, I believe, at the New York Film Festival, right? Correct. So it's been a while for you. <laughs> yeah. doing on it. <laughs> and I basically went into it knowing nothing about it. So and, pretty different than me. Right. And I, uh, there, and there isn't that much to really spoil about the movie because uh, this isn't really a criticism of the film, but it's one of those films you kind of have to go along with and know that you're not going to get concrete answers and definitive answers about what happened to these characters. It's more about memory and it's an impression. So honestly, at the end of one viewing, I'm not really sure about hardly anything about the plot. Like, <laughs> I, like is the father gay? Is <laughs> he dying? Is he dead in the present? Like there's uh-huh. all questions that none of those are really confirmed in the movie like Mm -hmm. what's really going on no Uh, and the most sort of thing or indicator you get of the present day the present day sophie the narrator is a sort of a framing device where she's in a nightclub and then there's also i think one scene that's set in her bedroom or something like that um it's it really is very much an impression it it definitely does not handhold the audience to sort of tell them what they're seeing and what you know, the significance or the meaning of what they're seeing really is. But um, I thought it had some really, really standout scenes. There's a sort of semi-musical number near the end set to Under Pressure. Uh, It's more like a dance, but also very sort of impressionistic, jumping back and forth and 
reality and maybe memory or maybe like a dream and just a sort of a combination of all three in a very, very interesting way. Um, that for me was one of the sort of like cinematic highlights of the year. Um, <laughs> did that stand out for you when you saw it? Well, I think that the movie is a bunch of small scenes. I remember Mark Kermode was talking about the movie Come On, Come On from 2021. And he said that it's a movie where the individual parts, you know, sometimes you say that a film, that its parts don't add up to an interesting whole. But I feel like this film, the small parts individually maybe don't have that big of an impression but added up over the course of the fairly short running time, there's this kind of quietly profound cumulative effect the film has. So it's one where you're not going to, I mean, you might be like 45 minutes in the movie and you're like, nothing's really happening, but it's, if you let it wash over you, if you get on the film's wavelength, it's I think a very beautiful and moving film. And it, it has this balance of being, very realistic slice of life feels like you're watching people go about their life and it's not been constructed for the sake of a narrative or a film or entertainment and yet it feels incredibly specific and edited in a very perfect purposeful way it's a really beautifully edited movie and and it's not one where it is driven by the narrative of what perhaps really happened back in the past it's more of a a a snapshot i mean there's a bunch of the film where she's watching footage of home videos and so it's almost like the film itself is a recollection it's a visual representation of her memory and it's a mix mash of you know what perhaps really did happen versus her memories versus her impressions of filming those moments by being behind the camera performing for a camera home video camera so yeah i just think that the film it's a movie that you kind of have to just accept that it's quiet and it's subtle and not much is really happening but it quietly builds up to be quite powerful and moving by the end when the the sort of home video device is very very interesting for it because it almost seems like maybe the idea of the movie was like kicked off by the director writer you know like seeing some old footage when they were a kid and sort of reconsidering it because there are some scenes that are outside of Sophie's point of view like there's a scene of like her dad crying and obviously she's not present for this or uh, her dad does something in the ocean that she obviously wasn't present for so we sort of as audience members need to question I guess what we're seeing like that so it might be like from the home video an impression of what she thinks her dad was going through at the time maybe you know maybe it does sort of break from her point of view and this is what really happened but it it does really answer those questions, but the sort of home video device it uses is a pretty interesting thing. And I haven't actually seen a movie really approach it like that. I guess there are some documentaries that are, I guess, centered around sort of old childhood footage or something like this. But this is like a reconstruction of of childhood footage. And there was a really interesting scene where we see a clip uh, early in the the movie that's like, I guess, some of this home footage. And then we see the scene later where the footage was shot and when the camera stops rolling and what they do after that. So just the way uh, Charlotte Wells plays with this sort of device, I found very, very interesting. And uh, the big thing uh, that was sort of talked about um, and I was sort of paying attention to when I was watching it 
was all of the critical uh, <laughs> hoopla around Paul Mezcal's performance as the father. And after he just got uh, announced to be starring in Gladiator 2, I think his career is going to really take off. And there was a lot of talk about like possibly an Oscar nomination for him in this. I think if he was, I, I would be pretty surprised because although it's a really affecting role and uh, I think he you know plays it perfectly, it's not like a big showy one. And there isn't really a lot of stuff you could do to have the Oscar clip. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I think it's a, it's one of those performances that's so matter of fact and subtle. It doesn't seem like he's acting, but that's yeah. what <laughs> a great performance. You often, it's like someone putting on fake teeth or, you know, lip syncing or putting on a bunch of weight or losing a bunch of weight, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Wins or like or- walking the way someone walks. So many Oscar wins and nominations recently have just been, real people so we have something to compare them to and this is not really you know we have no one really to compare a performance like this to besides i guess like i don't know our own parents or seeing other people's parents um so yeah i think it's a difficult sort of performance to judge because it's not like you like it's it's where you're like what is good acting is it just sort of like being naturalistic is it you know having a screen presence but just i don't know whatever he's doing i found really effective so it's a it's a rare film you don't see too often a film about a parent and child where the parent is very young like they're still a child themselves i mean they're you know he's a very young person so uh i think that yeah he's wonderful i mean i would be happy to see him get nominated i think that he's like in the top 10 in the predictions but i just don't think he's gonna make the cut yeah you know there's always like two nominees that are like poo poo like why is that <laughs> nominated and often they even win but well, it's uh, like so the opposite of something like tom cruise and top gun maverick that you know or uh are almost doing like a different kind of thing or even or even as as good as brendan fraser is in the whale that's such a you know the fat suit and the it's it and the sort of externality of it is such a big part of it right yeah and this is such a small film and and in a really beautiful way but it's a small movie i think some people may write it off as not being like the greatest show on earth and around the world in 80 days like that's a <laughs> film should be nominated for major oscars but you know a film like 12 angry men and marty are also just as deserving of being nominated it doesn't have to be a a scale thing like the most movie it's not yeah this picture is not like the most picture but no uh, but it was really effective just like as like a movie experience to like watch it be pretty gripped because there was there's always sort of like this feeling something awful is about to happen oh it's a tense movie where (laughs) it really isn't even like i mean not in the same way as uncut gems where you know there's crime and there's this real threat of violence in the film but after sun just has this kind of melancholy and dread where you just feel like it's not going to end up uh right or perfectly and there's going to be some broken hearts and fractured relationships and it's it's in it makes the quiet moments even more powerful because you're getting little snapshots of like what could have added up and because this film is focused so much around I mean, almost entirely around this trip, you get the sense that this was a super important few days in their lives. And so every little moment, every glance, every little thing that's said or not said, it kind of holds more weight than perhaps it did in the moment. And her memory is recreating uh, what the impact 
that these little moments will have on the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, like not much really happens, but like the stakes feel so high for like everything, <laughs> like uh, every sort of decision each person makes. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen because of this? And it it might not even be something big. It's just about you know like staying or leaving, something like that, right. something that seems so small. Right. I'll say that it somewhat reminded me. It's a very different film, but Sarah Polly, who has the film Women Talking this year, her previous film was about a decade ago. She did a documentary called Stories We Tell, which is this incredible film where I didn't know until after the movie that there are all these scenes of home uh, home footage, <clears throat> home, home movie footage that she completely created for the movie that wasn't actual home movie footage that she <laughs> like got actors and sets and she made it. And it's so flawless. And it's just interesting looking at you know, that was like back in the 70s and watching, you know, someone, you know, Charlotte Wells is like what she's like our age or even younger. And so she's of an age yeah. where this technology. So it's interesting seeing how it, it is a period piece technically, but it's like not that long ago. Like well, our- it's long enough to go that like the camcorder for me was like an interesting thing to think about because. Obviously, now everyone carries around like a video camera all the time, but because I was sort of like a thing to take, you know, camcorder videos on trips or on holidays or something like that. I think there was a lot more maybe intentionality about what you took, you know, footage of. So I I don't know. It's just sort of interesting to think about how like the idea of having a specialized piece of equipment for taking videos is different than just having that all the time like you know carrying it around you every day so i don't know it was interesting just for me to sort of think about like the idea of home videos because that was a big thing when we were growing up like i mean it definitely wasn't my household i'm not sure it wasn't yours but i assume it was at least sometimes oh yeah we had a camcorder and we have you know hours and hours of footage of birthday parties and christmas and you know vacations we have a ton of footage i haven't looked at it in years yeah (laughs) yeah but i don't know it's like will that be a different sort of thing in the future because you know home video i guess will be less special because it's just so sort of constant all the time so it definitely won't be sort of edited together in these hour and a half sort of things like it used to be i think well, um, the thing is, I don't know. <laughs> post social media or you pull it up on your phone right there, there's not like going to the, you know, hookup of VCR. Or yeah, the lot. sort of, I guess, uh, what you call um, ritual around it or like, you know, making it seem like it's something bigger than just a video you took on your iPhone. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I um, this isn't like in my top five of the year. I mean, I really liked it. Uh but I think people should go in. It's a small, knowing it's a small movie, it's a quiet film. It's a very subtle movie. You know, I think sometimes people go to see movies like this and they hear, oh, it's the best film of the year. Or it's like gotten a 95 on Metacritic and not even necessarily they dislike the movie, but uh, th- they were expecting like this grand, massive thing. And it's such a small, quiet movie. So go in knowing that it's it's a very small movie. Yeah, that's been, I mean, a lot of the, I guess, quote unquote, like best reviewed movies of the year over the past few years have all been, not all, but a lot of them, like I'm thinking of like Minari and Nomadland or like kind of small movies where not really anything happens. And this definitely falls into that line. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's like a hard sort of mantle to carry, like being the best, the sight and sound movie of the year, one of the national board review top 10 movies. And 
you know, to be probably a pretty small movie that really wasn't made with a whole lot of expectations to suddenly sort of have that weight to it. I don't know if it's necessarily fair, um, but it's definitely sort of an interesting thing to think about because obviously all this sort of good stuff is brought with being so well reviewed. More people will see it that that didn't before, but it, it doesn't necessarily set correct expectations for for audience members of but you know that's probably like a good problem to have at the end of the day well it's also like you can't it's unfair to judge a film based on hype and what wins awards and doesn't win awards like it's not fair to how green was my valley that it beat citizen Kane. like that's not that film it's not its fault yeah (laughs) yeah and you know there's a lot of movies where they're unfairly judged because of something that's not the film itself yeah and i think a lot of people will like i mean it's the type of movie if if someone goes to it like you know film people are going to watch after sun and i think most yeah people really like it yeah and I, it's definitely a movie that you know has legs that after you see it you're going to sort of think about it and it's going to stick with you it's not just sort of something you can see and forget so right um, i think and people I'm- who may not even really respond to it initially i think though at least still sort of think about it maybe in the weeks afterwards, which is, I think, I think a good thing. And I think After Send is sort of unique, possibly in its ability to do that. There's some other movies that you can sort of see and just forget about. But I do think that, you know, the average film viewer, the ones that go to see Top Gun Maverick or, <laughs> or Avatar in the Way of Water. Yeah, if they saw this, they would just scratch their head and be like, this is the best reviewed film of the year. They, <laughs> yeah. It won't be their cup of tea, but... No, it won't. But um, I, I don't think it's one of the uh, a movie that's like unapproachable or like sort of off-putting and it's sort of snobbishness or anything like no, that. No, no. And like I said, I think a majority of people who would know to see it and watch it will like it. And the people that would not get on its wavelength probably, probably just won't see it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably never even heard of it. But yeah. I, I mean, I really liked it. I don't know if it would crack like a you know best movie of the year for me or, or even like a top five, but I'm very glad that I saw it. Um, yes. And I think it's got some really, really good acting performances and very interested to see what Charlotte Wells does in the future because um, it's such a personal first film. And I know, you know, directors say to like sort of make your first film, I guess something you really know. And she definitely did that, but I'm interested to see where she goes in the future. Um the Shifting. second, oh, you got something else. Greatly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second of these sort of late 20th century period pieces that we are discussing today is Bones and All, directed by Luca Guadagnino, um, who has previously directed Suspiria, Call Me By Your Name, I Am Love, A Bigger Splash, and I think a few others. Um, starring Taylor Russell, Timothy Chalamet, who is also a producer and previously worked with Guadagnino on Call Me By Your Name, and Mark Rylance in an especially creepy performance. Uh, It is about a teenage girl who runs away from home uh, after her cannibalistic tendencies are exposed at a sleepover. Um, And on the lam, she meets up with a young man who also feels a compulsion to eat human flesh. The two uh, kindle a romantic relationship and journey across America together, doing... Young Love Cannibal Things. Um, it originally premiered September 2nd at the Venice Film Festival and was released wide in the U.S. November 18th, 2022. A Metacritic score of 74, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 82. It won the Silver Lion for Best Director, 
for Luca Guadagnino at the Venice Film Festival and the Marcello Mastroianni Award for Taylor Russell at the Venice Film Festival, which I guess is probably like the best actor award. <laughs> I didn't really look up what it was. Um, I guess from the top for me, I didn't really realize this was like a young adult thing. So <laughs> I guess I could sort of tell from the trailer it was like a sort of a romance, but I was a little surprised well, by be- how sort of it was like a super violent young adult story. Well, let's be clear. It is based on a YA novel, but the film is very hard R-rated. It is, yes. It's very hard R. But yeah, I, I guess I didn't really know it was based on a novel or anything like that. So um, I don't know. It was a very surprising movie for me. It was a very unique kind of movie. I was a little, I guess I shouldn't have been, but I was a little surprised at just how violent it turned out to be. <laughs> um, but uh, what what did you think of it? Uh, I know you're a fan of some of Guadagnino's previous movies. Oh, yeah. I actually quite like the Suspiria remake he did. And Bones and All, I, I describe it, it's like Badlands meets Night of Living Dead. <laughs> and it really, it, it a chunk of the movie is this wistful, melancholy film about two young people who are in love and it's a road trip film and it just happens that they eat people (laughs) uh i i remember one person was saying that they just love the idea of all these young girls and teenagers that are obsessed and go gaga for timothy chalamet what they're gonna think of this movie (laughs) if they see it because you know he's like hooking up with a guy and then killing him and eating him and it's a it, it's a movie where there's large sections where there's not graphic violence, but when they're when they get to the eating, it is very graphic. And I wouldn't say gratuitous because it's like they it it shows what they do, but it's yeah. not all. It's 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 actually a um it's a pretty refined horror film for his uh kind of scandalous the subject matter as scandalous as the subject matter is. It's not like a terrifier to or an evil dead movie it's actually a pretty sincere i think it's a very sincere movie that's one of the things very much is very sincere and it's, you know like it's nah. sort of treatment of young love is like very sort of serious and um I, in a lot of ways kind of hopeful um in a way that i found a little surprising but melancholy too i think oh definitely yeah i mean but there aren't a lot of scenes in it you would describe as really scary i think there's a couple sort there's one sort of jump scare there's uh, a couple scenes that have like this real uh, sort of undercurrent of tension and kind of an explosion near the end. But um, I guess, is this something you would describe as horror? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I would definitely say it's a horror film, but it's one of those that you don't want to go into expecting it to be like a jump out of your seat and boo moments. And it's more like, there's just this weird tension and it's just it's such an odd movie i mean there's a number of actors that show up in the film that have been in other guadagnino films like you have michael stuhlbarg who played the really lovely father in (laughs) call me by your name to timothy chalamet's character and he plays this filthy creepy redneck cannibal and he has a boyfriend partner friend <laughs> who's played by david gordon green did you realize that's who it was yeah the guy who like directed a lot of episodes of eastbound and down and, and some the movie movies Halloween movies yeah yes exactly yeah and, uh and what's creepy about him is that he is uh someone who doesn't have this obsession this need to f- eat flesh he, he's he, just like a fanboy <laughs> yeah 
And uh, you also have uh, Jessica Harper, who was in the original Suspiria. And because of that, she was in the remake of Suspiria. And she has a nice scene uh, mm -hmm. as a family member of the female leads character. And uh, people like Chloe Sevigny pop up. But I would say the creepiest thing about the movie, like you mentioned, is Mark Rylance. Yes, it's that's like the performance of the movie for me. Yeah, I, I mean, everyone gives a good performance, but he's just so like on his it's weird it kind of reminded me of it's like if you took his character from don't look up this kind of uh, on the spectrum you know tech billionaire genius guy yeah but you made him this like you know, <laughs> weird homeless cannibal <laughs> i know and <clears throat> there's just and there's but there's also like with a lot of best of the best horror films there's the sadness to the film like even his character is awful as he is and as threatening as he is there's this kind of sadness to his character like you don't really feel bad for him but there's just this weird kind of melt like i said melancholy to the characters um when like his uh, really sort of warped sense of like responsibilities and like you know what the line is and what good and bad are it's like it's a really it's a crazy performance it seems like he's someone i mean his big thing in shakespeare was playing uh, the female roles in Shakespeare sort of as a man. So he's definitely someone who like likes a challenge, but um, I don't know. He, some of the choices he makes are so out there that he's just a really interesting actor and an actor who like popped up kind of out of nowhere for Americans like 10 years ago when he was in Wolf Hall and Bridge of Spies. And suddenly he's in like, you know, Dunkirk and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> he's been in multiple best picture nominees, trial the Chicago seven and, I think that uh, he's a wonderful actor and he just commits so much to it. And I, I think that there's just, you know, the, his giant, you know, strand, the rope of hair, he takes hair from each of the people he's eaten. And that's just really creepy. And it's, it's one of the creepiest things I've maybe like ever seen in a movie. <laughs> right. And, and it's not like schlocky zombie movie gore. Like it's like, what if someone actually got down and started eating a human being? It's like very uh, gruesome, but matter of fact, almost. And yeah. it's, it's not like, uh, it's i mean i'm sick so it still entertains me but it's not like fun gore it's like like actually gross and disturbing gore yeah and i mean ultimately the thing that centers the whole movie is taylor russell and timothy chalamet and their chemistry i guess it's what you call it and um you know that like you do sort of find yourself on their sides despite them being you know criminals according to our justice system and do things that are very much opposed to you know what we would consider to be good and moral but i guess it's the achievement of their performances and of the movie and i guess the screenplay to a certain extent that you know we're pretty much on their side at the end and at the end we want like good things to happen for them um i like so the ending a lot it gets very gruesome in the very end yes it's it's one of those movies where almost like the ending makes it and um sort of like with half an hour left i was wondering what was going to happen and you know, wondering if these people were just sort of going to get away or whether, you know, they were going to have their past sins come back to haunt them. So I was, I don't know, I was pretty on the edge of my seat to, you know, on what was going to happen at the end. And for me, it delivered, I wouldn't say spectacularly, but, you know, I think it sort of had the ending that audience members kind of deserved.
Um, I but I was we, I was impressed by it. I Taylor <laughs> Russell, I mean, winning the the acting award at um, Venice and stuff like that. I hadn't really seen her. I thought I was impressed, but not blown away. Um, I was kind of uh, I don't know. I was expecting to be blown away a bit. Maybe that was my fault as an audience member. <laughs> no, I thought she did the role very well. I think that uh, we should say that um, this is will be a very divisive film. Like I yeah. There, this was on top 10 lists and worst 10 lists. Uh, yes, I could very much see that. I mean, yeah. I could I could definitely see people being totally off put by the whole thing. Right. Um, and and just sort of people that are horror fans just not getting uh, on the page with it. Like, I, yeah. I not even I mean, yes, there's going to be people that, you know, won't like this you know graphic cannibal film but also i think that it's not going to work for every horror fan that people need to go in knowing that it's not going to be the schlocky b movie it's like i'm not saying it's as good as these films but it's like the exorcist and rosemary's baby it's like it's like a, a real director uh you know making a serious horror film mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, that's where i like kind of I guess it's like what makes horror and stuff like that. I guess just sort of the subject matter and um, I guess the violence, I guess, are two of the sort of defining things. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess just what sort of is like the thing that makes this a horror for you? I guess just the the murder. Well, <laughs> the way murder is treated. It's a serious cannibal film and they're going around killing people. And But that's uh, why it's kind of just like a drama about cannibals, right? Yeah, but because it's cannibals, it it, bore, it it crosses over into horror film. Sort of just sort of the nature of, of the deaths that we're seeing. Right. I mean, yeah. it's it's definitely not a zombie film, but it has some of the attributes of a zombie film. Well, yes, and definitely, I mean, there's sort of two scenes. The one that you mentioned with um, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg is definitely a horror scene if not like horror it's like a you know pretty tense thriller scene but i guess you would call more horror because i guess it's more like texas chainsaw than um you know michael clayton so (laughs) i I definitely can see it for that but it's it's almost a movie that for me sort of defines genre because it's also kind of like you know like a young adult romance and um kind of like one of the doomed romance movies that were really popular like you know uh um What's that one that was like really big with the uh, the girl the from Stars? Fallen Our Stars, yeah. Um, so you know, like a sick version of that, but like there's elements of that to it, um, which were kind of surprising for me. Uh, it is but kind it's, of inspired having Timothy Chalamet in the lead. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he's very much like a sort of Nicholas Sparks kind of lead when you think about it, or um, you know, someone who would fit in pretty well in those kind of movies. Um, but it's, you know, a Luca Guadagnino version that involves people eating off their hands and stuff like that. It's just a very difficult movie to categorize and kind of a difficult movie to even like, you know, sort of judge or like critically think about because I mean, I don't I think I liked it. I, I didn't hate it. I wasn't like repulsed by it. So um, it's just for me, like, I don't know. It's hard for me to pin down exactly what my thoughts were other than um, I guess just being sort of generally appreciative that it was very different <laughs> you know what right. i mean <laughs> it, it takes a swing and i think it works overall yeah i do too um i mean ultimately two pretty different movies but definitely oh yeah uh, <laughs> present a, an interesting view of uh what one would call sort of a recent period piece because you know we generally think of period pieces as 
being costume dramas or you know war movies or something yeah something like that so um it's just sort of interesting to see a time that this is one that you know is a little i guess before we were born but it's one that we're sort of familiar with through you know parents or media we've interacted with reagan Um, yeah exactly (laughs) and it's sort of a commentary on that in some ways it seems like but you know i wasn't alive for the moment so some of it goes over my head um I definitely would not recommend this movie to as many people as I would after Sun. Um, it's hard for me to really think of too many people I know who would probably like it. People um, who like weird arty horror films. Yeah. And I guess if you're just such like a Timothy Chalamet fan that you're sort of a completist, then I th- he's really good in this. And it's a different sort of performance than he's given before. Um, and in some ways, it's hard for me to think of Timothy Chalamet as like a tough guy. Because he's, you know, weighs about 140 pounds <laughs> soaking wet. Uh, but he does have a bit of a menace to him in this movie. And, and kind of a physical presence where you think like, oh, he probably could kill a guy. <laughs> so right. I thought that was an achievement for him. He's not necessarily he could like overpower someone, but he could like swiftly slit their throat. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, he, he's convinced me that like, you know, like if, if he was brought to it, he could he could do it. <laughs> Yeah, we should say that it was one of John Waters' top ten films of uh, for Art Form magazine, which doesn't surprise me. He was a fan. Yeah. Of. Anyone who likes like yeah, sick, disgusting stuff, this will this should be right up your alley. Of because it does it in a kind of a different way. Because it's sort of the Luca Guadagnino like artsy version. It's like a like a Paris, Texas, where people eat each other. Right, and um, I think did you think of Badlands at all? Definitely. I mean, Badlands is like yes, is obviously an influence on it. Um. And Bonnie and Clyde did too, I think, you know. Yes, but I guess the the sort of difference, the thing in Badlands is, I guess, the uh, the point of view from the female character is it's sort of like knowingly, like this person's very naive and sort of sees it like a fantasy. And uh, I, I think this is presented a little more like she sees stuff as it really is. Right. Um, I, Badlands I've heard is. that the novel is a little bit more fairy tale fable-like. Okay, so I guess maybe a little more like the, not quite recognizing how bad the things we're doing really are. Cause that's such a key element of Badlands that she, you know, she knows like what's happening is bad, but she doesn't really ever think it's like as bad as it really is. Um, which I didn't, I, I don't know. It's hard to talk about. Andre Holland is an actor I really like is barely in this, but I think, I think is a pretty crucial role because his sort of presence hangs over um, all of the movie, even when he's not in it. Um, right. So I was glad to see him in a, in a almost good like role. After, and almost like after Sun, you know, she's listening to this cassette. And so there's this kind of weird connection with After Sun. Where... No, it's true. I didn't even really think about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, two of the more interesting movies of the year. Um, I don't expect this one to probably get any Academy Award nominations, would you? I don't know if any horror films are going to get any Oscar nomination. And it's kind of a shame because despite being some really good ones this year. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think there's going to be below the line, like technical stuff that, uh, you know, there's some that like are on the like predictions, like on the cusp, you know, like I would love to see Mia Goth get nominated for Pearl. Like I totally think that's a deserving best actress. But uh, barbarian for original screenplay or something. Yeah, I mean, I it's like I I, I bet if we looked at the predictions, Mark Rylance would be like in the top fifteen, but he's not gonna. They're not gonna nominate him. No, but I mean, someone who would be deserving if he was, because as far as just like impact on a movie, it's hard to think of many roles um, this year who 
with the limited screen plot, screen time have the same kind of impact on a movie. Um, it's you know, it's like uh, Judy Dench and Shakespeare in Love or something like that. Just like barely in it, but like wow, that's sort of what you're thinking about when you leave. Just with a rope of hair. <laughs> yeah, Queen Elizabeth with a rope of hair of cannibalized victims. Um, right. But yeah, two pretty interesting movies. I think, uh, I mean, I, I liked both of them. I definitely wouldn't recommend Bones and All to most people, but um, I think if you are a movie fan, After Sun is, is kind of essential viewing. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, two semi-recent period pieces. Um, we'll have another episode coming out um, about other 20th century period pieces, so keep a lookout for that one. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you next time.